What's going on, everybody? This is the Hot Tag. Christy Francesco here with you. Uh, and as always, I am joined by Jason Miller. What's going on, Jay? Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good, man. Good, good. Um, all right, so to kick things off, I just... We just re- had Chris's wife's cooking, <laughs> and it was phenomenal. <laughs> so at 7 o'clock our time, which is about 10 minutes from now, um, I'm going to let everybody know that we're going to be talking to Bryn Swartz of Eagle Central, uh, at Eagle Central on the Twitter. And then at 8 o'clock our time, which is about an hour from now, um, it'll be Matt Coon. Uh, so Matt Coon's a pretty big deal in, in wrestling in terms of podcasting. Um, he hosts a podcast called Truth With Consequences with Vince Russo. Um, he hold, hosts his own uh, podcast called Total Engagement with Matt Coon. That just surpassed um, well over a million downloads uh, this past week for him. So uh, congrats to him. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about what's going on in the landscape of pro wrestling right now, um, which is what we're going to kick off the show with um, for you guys right about now. Uh, quick shout out to our producer Ricky, um, who did a phenomenal job uh, on our show last week. So, and he will be pretty much with us uh, for as long as he, um, wants he wants to do this for free. So that's great as well. Um, <laughs> love, love you, Ricky. So keep doing. Uh, great job, my man. So you make us sound sound a lot better than we are. All right. So the news broke this morning uh, that. Uh, let's see. I woke up for work around seven o'clock, and I reach over. I grab my phone real quick. I open up the Bible app because that's the first thing I do. I I, I see what today's devotional is, and then the next thing I get is a, is a message, uh, Jay, from one of our best friends, Kyle, and he says, "Dude, did you see this?" I'm like, oh, "Okay, I." I haven't, but what is it? That's awesome. I really want to know what this is if you're texting me about it this early. So I open it, and it's a video of John Moxley or Dean Ambrose. And I'm watching it as I'm walking the dog this morning, and I have the sound up outside, and, and, and I'm watching this thinking, all right, the very first time – the first 15 seconds, I said, oh, great, he's going to AEW. When I got to the end of the video, Jay, I thought, I don't know. This looks like a WWE production. It was done so well, and then I talked to my wife about it. She said, at what point would this have been recorded for this to even be something as good as it is? So my, my wife believes it's all a work. Just like some people around the internet are saying, they believe it's a complete work by the WWE, but the messages are in the video, as you can see. He's breaking out of a jail, which you can people call WWE creative, like being in prison. He's He gets chased by a big dog. They, a lot of people say one of the security guards with the gun uh, looks like Seth Rollins, and then... Um, when he, he gets barbed wire and he's bleeding, so that's definitely couldn't be a WWE thing. Blood can't have any natural human stuff. And so that's blood. And then they go into, as he's walking down the street, you see, um, Las Vegas dice on the side of the wall really quickly. And the dice are, there's two dice, which are a two and a five. AEW's for, uh, big pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, is May 25th. There's so many little subtleties that can lead you to believe it could be really either. I don't know what it is, but um, Jay, your thoughts on when – I think you saw the video when I tagged you in it, right? Yes. So you saw the video. Your thoughts when you first 
caught wind of it, and then your thoughts after thinking about it for a couple minutes. Uh, I thought it was a very well put together video. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely took some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the question you have to ask is, how did they have time to fill in, film this much? Right. If he was under contract with the WWE. Right. And a lot of a lot of people wrote on Twitter. They said, "Well, he's got to have a ninety day no compete." That's not true. You only get a 90-day no-compete, I think, if you ask for your release. Um, and you get released or you get um, – or you just quit. What Ambrose did, he literally finished out his contract to the very last day. So pretty much whatever day that last run or final thing of the Shield was – I don't remember what date that was. It was on a Sunday night though. By Monday – by midnight Sunday – He's free to do whatever he wants. So unless that video was filmed like that next week, which I I guess, I mean, you know, movies, full movies get filmed in six weeks. A minute and a half vignette can probably get done in a couple days. That's true. So my my thinking now is, Jay, are we going to see Dean Ambrose or John Moxley in AEW on May 25th? Or do you think this could be just a, a colossal wonderful swear by WWE. Uh, I wouldn't... I think it's gotta be AEW. Yeah. I don't think... I don't think WWE would change the name. That's that's a good point. Where, I mean, it's not like a... It's not a Skip Sheffield becoming <laughs> Ryback. Ryback, right. Or, uh, what was, um... Oh, what was Bray Wyatt's That's name? That's what I was trying. What was Br- McGillicuddy? Mc- oh my gosh! Yeah. No, no that was no, Kurt- that was Curtis Axel. Curtis Axel. Oh man, I forget. But it was it was it was an awful name. Right. So like, thank God but for Bray. You're talking about a guy who's up, who's been a world heavyweight champion. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily go. You know what? Let's change his name. Right. You've already got marketing behind him. You're going to get the Dean Ambrose chance if he yeah. comes back to WWE. So that's why right. I think it's an AEW move. Right. I want to be this. And also, mm-hmm. why would he just go as Mox? Right. Okay. That makes going sense. Going back to WWE, I feel like they like the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes sense. Character. And then cut half the name out, so it could have been John. That's true too. Because um, on Andrade. <laughs> my my wife believes and like th- just to let you guys know my wife is very in tune with wrestling since I've met her many yes. years ago yes. so this is what you know our conversations really are um yes not, she not said how the child is she, <laughs> <laughs> she believes that it could be a WWE thing because why would why would they have that such elaborate like month long send off for somebody cuz Vince historically never does that. I mean, Luke Gallows and Anderson are probably on their way out and they're getting buried every week and no one even talks about them. And so when it comes to Ambrose for a month, all they did was plug this guy. So why, why do all of that? And then I, I, I guess just now he's just going to go to AEW and that's it. I guess maybe it was a ploy to try to keep him. That's a great – that's what I think. I think it was a ploy to say look at all of this. Yeah. Yeah, try to stay. Look what you can have. Right. I agree. But you're always going to be third fiddle. Right. Agreed. You're always going to be the third. You're never going to be bigger yeah. in their eyes than – Seth or Roman. Yeah. I, I agree. Especially in – 
the PG era, unless they're going to move out of that. Right. If but it goes to PG thirteen type yeah. stuff, then then Dean's phenomenal, which yes. everyone has said for years. Um, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, really quick, we are going to have uh, Bryn Swartz talk about Philadelphia Eagles. After that, we're going to get into uh, more pro wrestling. We got Money in the Bank coming up. Um, so we got so much more. We're going to talk about AEW Double or Nothing. We're going to talk about Raw's ratings hitting a brand new low for a non-holiday show. So under 2 million viewers. So it's not, not good. Brand new rock bottom. Brand new rock bottom. Yes. All right. This is the hot tag. Uh, that's Jason Miller. I am Christy Francesco. We will be right back uh, in just a couple of seconds. So stay, stay right there. Welcome back. Hot tag. Christy Francesco, Jason Miller here with you. And on the line with us is apparently somebody I haven't talked to in a while. And it's amazing how fast time goes by and you just don't realize it. But uh, and that actually makes me mad. I feel like I'm a a bad friend here. But on the line with us is um, he he used to cover the Eagles for such a long time. But uh, regardless, he's so brilliant when it comes to Philadelphia and and their sports scene. Um, He's been coming on with me for a long time. Uh, Bryn Swartz, how you doing, man? Chris, that was a good intro. It has been a while. I was just saying to you, I don't know if the last time we did this, if the Eagles even had Peterson and Wentz, but it's nice to be able to talk about good Philadelphia teams instead of Chip Kelly and Sam Bradford. No, for sure. And and geez, when you say Sam Bradford, I get like a, I get like bad butterflies in my stomach, and it's amazing. Uh, to, yeah, who is he again? Yeah, uh, exactly. A guy that still finds a way to cash in. That's who he is. <laughs> um. Now, just because you brought up Bradford and the quarterback situation, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna start off with a, with, with a hot question, basically. And um, we're going into probably. I mean, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong on this. We're probably going into the most pivotal year of the Wentz Peterson era. Um, what what is your feeling right now? Is we're I think we're like a two months away, maybe two and a half months away from training camp. Um, what is your your feeling going into the 2019 season um, of, of Carson Wentz? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of ways to look at it. If you look at it, and I don't think you're implying this, but if you look at it like Wentz has to play well in order to get a contract extension and Wentz may not be around if he keeps getting hurt, I don't think we're even close to that point because if you look around the league, Ryan Tannehill got seven seasons with Miami. Andy Dalton is going into year number nine with Cincinnati. So Matt Stafford, who's like the definition of an average quarterback, is going into year 11 with Detroit. So I don't think Wentz is in danger of losing his job. Mm -hmm. However, there is an elite tier of quarterbacks, and Carson Wentz showed in 2017 that he was an elite quarterback. And last year, for a number of reasons that we all remember, was very, very frustrating. And you are right. He is at the point where we kind of are still saying, what is Carson Wentz exactly? It's, you know, we don't know how much of last year we can just dismiss because of injury. He is up for that contract extension. He's going to get extended. He's probably going to get extended before the season started, if I had to guess. But we still don't really know what we have yet in our quarterback, and I think that's frustrating for all of us. Yeah, basically, my what I was hinting at in the terms of if, if and I'm sure you know you were all over Twitter last year, and um, you know I was part of that, and listening to talk radio and reading newspapers every single day. It's there was a significant. Um, 
out loud, my, I don't even want to say minority, there was a significant percentage of Philadelphia Eagles fans who I think in, you know, deep down, they really wanted to move along this franchise with Nick Foles over Carson Wentz. And I don't know if that's, you know, Philadelphia being how they are, being sometimes pretty fickle, you know, because Foles is a guy that ultimately, you know, was that quarterback to raise that trophy for the first time in Eagles history. And then you have a season where Wentz gets hurt again, um, albeit have still having, you know, a top 12, top 10 statistical season on one leg and a bad back. There was a significant amount of noise where there was a big case to say that Nick Foles could be the guy to move forward and maybe Wentz isn't that guy. So that's where I'm saying to you is if this is the most pivotal year for Carson Wentz in terms of the the, the eyes of the fans. And I, I agree with that to an extent, but I don't know. I, I really wish that I could pinpoint those Foles fans. And first of all, I hate how it has to be Foles versus Wentz. I it was don't awful. myself either. I, I'm, I'm an Eagles fan. I support whoever's playing quarterback. But I think that those Foles fans have to know deep down that Carson Wentz is the future of the team. Nick Foles is 30 years old, and, and I hope I am so wrong, but I don't think he's going to succeed in Jacksonville. And if you look around, a lot of people are just in shock that Jacksonville gave him that contract, and they don't really have a lot of hope on the offensive side of the ball. There's just not really any reason for me to believe that he's going to be their long-term answer. I mean, I was already looking up when they could get out of his contract. I believe that's in two years. I just... I don't see any scenario where in four years we're just sitting around saying, I can't believe the Eagles let go of Nick Foles and kept Carson Wentz. So I think that Foles caught lightning in a bottle, and that was amazing, and I would never want to discredit it. But don't forget, Carson Wentz is the one who got us there. Carson Wentz is the one who, even last year, playing through a a broken bone in his back and not fully healed from his torn ACL. He had a pass rating over 100. He, he improved his completion percentage by nine points. And so I just think that people need to relax. I don't think that Wentz is going to get injured every single year. That just doesn't happen for quarterbacks unless you're like a Michael Vick type. But he, he's not a Michael Vick type. So I think that we're kind of at a rough patch right now with Carson Wentz, but I think everything's going to be okay. I agree with you. And um, moving forward now to what's basically, I guess you could say, behind and in front of Carson Wentz is your your thoughts now. You've had a week, I guess, almost a week now to process the NFL draft. Um, I I was really actually surprised to see some of the backlash that came from the Eagles draft. I thought they had one of the – I mean, again, this is my opinion only. I think they wanted to have maybe the top – six or seven best drafts in terms of value um, of any team in the NFL. Um, your thoughts on on the Eagles draft and where that, that puts them for this year? Yeah, so first of all, let me just put a big disclaimer. I think that the, the popular saying is you can't go to the draft class until three years. Honestly, I think it should be six years, maybe even more, because you just don't really know. So, as you know, me evaluating these players right now really doesn't mean anything until they've played. But I do like the Eagles draft. I think getting Andre Dillard in the first round, I think he was maybe the best offensive tackle coming out on the draft. Right. And you have the replacement for Jason Peters. You have a guy who can hopefully play the position for 10 years, who can protect Carson Wentz. That's the most important thing for the franchise, keeping Wentz healthy. You've got a running back in the second round. Fans have been clamoring for a running back for a while. And 
The Eagles have been almost manufacturing running backs, so a guy who has some real talent, it's going to be great to see. Um, you have a wide receiver who was fantastic at contested catches in college, so even a backup quarterback in the fifth round, the Eagles really, really improved their offense. And I think if you look last year, you saw teams like Kansas City and the Rams won games with defenses that were, I don't have the exact numbers, but somewhere around average in points allowed, but historic offenses. And I think the Eagles are going for that route where they're going to surround their hopefully terrific quarterback with just a lot of guys on offense who can make plays. And that gets me really excited. Oh, for sure. We're, we're talking to Bryn Swartz. Uh, you can follow him on the Twitter at Eagles Central. Um, I also really enjoy talking to your brother as well. Um, I really would like to get him on. Um, I feel like so bad that I haven't talked to him yet. I, I wonder if that makes me a bad guy or I don't know. But uh, um, no, Chris, he would love that. He would he would absolutely be a fan of that. I can tell you that. That'd be good. I, I got to get him on in the very, very near future. Now, before we go to the Phillies, I do want to ask you one more Eagles question. Um, regarding last season, Brand, do, do, do you think a lot of the criticism um, towards Wentz was unfair? Because in a sense, I, I, my my excuse that I had, a, I always had a built-in excuse for Carson Wentz, and this was that. It was, I felt that Nick Foles succeeded so well because of the fact that one, he's a very talented quarterback. That you know, that goes without saying. I felt Doug Peterson called the kind of game for Nick Foles that he should have called for Carson Wentz all along. Um, you know, that didn't have him scrambling out of the pocket so much. Didn't have him throwing the football forty times a night uh, a game. Um, did you feel that a lot of the problems or a lot of the criticism towards Wentz you could probably channel back to maybe how Doug Peterson was coaching the football team? Yeah, Chris, you know, that's an interesting way you say that. So I did a tweet about, I don't even know, a couple of months ago that got some really negative feedback where I essentially said that you feel like the Eagles' entire team just plays better when it's Nick Foles. And I pinpointed a couple of games early in the year, if you remember the horrible losses against Tennessee and Carolina, and I said you almost feel like the Eagles' defense would have made stops in those games. And I know that probably sounds ridiculous, but I've heard on podcasts, I wish I could remember who, but former players and scouts and analysts say that when the backup comes into the game, the entire team gives that extra 10%. No, that doesn't mean the team isn't crying in the first place. It just means that I guess they cry a little bit harder. And I think a guy like Doug Peterson, when he's preparing for a game, he looks at his quarterback, Carson Wentz, and he says, this guy is one of the best in the entire NFL. I don't have to spend as much time with Carson Wentz because he's got it. When you have Nick Foles, who you really don't know what you're going to get out of him in any given game, and I think Jacksonville's going to learn that the hard way, Hmm. you have to prepare so much because you don't know what you're going to get from your quarterback. So I think it's one of those where the popular saying that the backup quarterback is the most popular quarterback on the team, and he's the one that always does well in the first few games when he comes in. Well, we've seen that in a couple of years now for the Eagles. Now, we're going to get right into uh, some Phillies talk here since, uh, actually, as we're talking right now, the Phillies uh, had just started with Aaron Nola on the mound. Um, so, Bryn, let's take let's go back. Let's go back to what where are we at now. Let's go back to February. What was your feeling, and then we'll talk about 30 games in. Your feeling right away, and I mean, I know, but maybe there's somebody, people listening all around, you know, the world right now that don't know 
as a Philadelphia fan, your thoughts when you found out right away that the Phillies had signed Bryce Harper? I was I was absolutely ecstatic. It was it was February twenty eighth. It was uh it was a Thursday. It was like two fifteen p.m. I was at Wawa. I saw John Heyman breaking the Phillies got Bryce, and I just did a double take and I just said I cannot believe it because if you guys remember, in like the day or so before, we had essentially given up. I remember WIP was talking. They were basically saying about how they were they were treating it like a fact that he's going to the Dodgers or the Giants, and so for the Phillies. After us thinking for months that we were going to get him, to think that we had lost him and then to come in and get him at the last minute, it was just unbelievable. And then you find out that he basically wanted to go to Philly the entire time, and it's just 13 years. He's the most popular player in baseball. He's a former MVP. I think he's the guy who is going to make the Hall of Fame one day. I, I, I remember in 2003 when the Philly signed Jim Tomey, and I believe that was seven years and Tomei was, what, 30, maybe 31 years old? Yes. And that was a symbolism that the Phillies were turning into a contender. And I think this is about twice that effect, where they're signing a player to twice the contract who's probably even better than Tomei was back then. Not only are the Phillies a playoff contender, they're expected to compete for a World Series. And it's just awesome. You think about how boring the Phillies have been for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. And you can guarantee that for the next 13 years, they're going to have Bryce Harper on their team. So it's just incredible. Oh, I agree. And when, when it first happened, um, the the guy who I do the show with, we worked together and we were in the kitchen sitting at a table. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get the text from John Heyman. It says, breaking Harper to Phillies. And I'm thinking, there's no way. There's just no way. This doesn't happen to, to Philadelphia that we get the probably the face of baseball. And then and then, you know, my, my friend who is like a massive Bryce Harper guy says there's just no way. So we're on Twitter ferociously refreshing as often as we can and be like, is there anybody else that's reporting this but um, but Heyman? And then when Jim Salisbury reported it, I said, well, it's definitely legit now that when Salisbury reports it or Zalecki. Um, so now, you know, we fast forward to the pandemonium that occurred, a good 80s term there um, for someone old like me. Um, you have pandemonium when this whole thing went down. We're 30 games in now, Brandon. We're fast forwarding a lot here. We're 30 games in. Where are you right now in your feeling with, with Bryce, how the team is faring so far? Um, where are you right now in that area? Yeah, so it's the Phillies, I believe, are 16 and 13. I did the math earlier. They're on pace for, I think, it's 89 wins. And that's probably about exactly what we all expected. Yeah. Um, I think we're probably all a little down on the Phillies with the way they've played recently. I think they've scored, is it like fewer than two runs in six of the last 12 games or whatever? And after the 4 0 start, they've definitely cooled off. But we're also, we're one month into this season, and Harper has definitely cooled off. Now, I actually had predicted when they signed him, I thought he would have a down year this year. Just, I guess, I don't know if it's all the pressure or whatever, so it's just one of those. Baseball is a marathon, it's not a sprint. The Phillies are doing well. They're 16 and 13, but they're not, you know, 9 and 20, so... 
Yeah. I'm not going to overreact to stuff like uh, Aaron Nola's slow start or just whatever. The Phillies have been banged up, a lot of injuries. So there, there's plenty of time. I mean, they're in good shape. They're in first place. And that's what matters. No, I agree. And people are already complaining about Harper. I mean, he got booed last night. I mean, Harper said of the game he would have booed too. Not for nothing. He's on pace to lead the National League in walks, and he's on pace for 33 home runs and 120 RBIs. So, <laughs> I, I think hey, if... You know, Chris, the, the thing about a guy like Harper, Harper knows how to get on base, and I think on base percentage is one of the most important stats. And even if Harper would be batting 210, his on base is going to be about 350 yeah. because he walks so much. And I think people underestimate how valuable you are to a team when you're just getting on base. I believe that... I'm not sure if he still has streak I don't think he does but he died on base in like every single game this season so even when he's not getting hits he's drawing walks and setting up opportunities for race costumes I mean the Phillies are going to be fine no, I agree. And now I'm going to ask you um, real quick, last question here before we get you out of here. Um, your thoughts on the other acquisition so far. And we've kind of found out the last couple weeks, about a week or so ago, just how important Gene Segura is to this Phillies lineup. And then you look at Gene Segura and then you look at JT Romuto, who hasn't quite found his stroke yet. Uh, he's been a force behind the plate. He's been so good behind the plate. He is starting to get the bat on the ball a little bit more like he's accustomed to. But you got Andrew McCutcheon, who I think has 28 walks this season as a leadoff hitter. Um, your thoughts on the other acquisitions, the the McCutcheons, the Seguras, and Real Mutos? Yeah, so the one thing about the Phillies that I love is they don't have a single hitter in the lineup who is an automatic out. And you had that last year at like three-eighths of your starting lineup. And this year, you could argue your worst hitter. I don't even know. I mean, Cesar Hernandez, and, and he's just going through a slide, but he's like an average starting second baseman, and that's like your worst hitter. So it's awesome to see the Phillies, Real Muto, McCutcheon, um, just bringing in players. Gene Segura is a guy who I think he can win a batting title one day. You saw how important he was to the Phillies when he was out. I think I read that the Phillies, it's like 6.4 runs per game when he plays and like 2.9 runs per game when he doesn't play. So the Phillies, it's not just Bryce Harper. It's not like they're the Angels where the Angels have Trout and that's it. The Phillies have Harper, but then they brought in so many other players and that's something that I think we're going to get accustomed to seeing in the next few years. No, uh, I, I 100 agree with you on Segura, uh, Brent. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, as long as we're doing this show, can I get you to you know, as long as everything goes well, and I'm pretty sure it has. Our our, our first week numbers were great. Um, we've got some really good sponsors lined up, so I'm hoping to be around for a little while. But now, let's. Just, I'm just going to project here. Is it okay to assume that beginning in training camp? Bryn will Bryn Swartz will be on our show every week. Yes, that will definitely happen, Chris. Awesome, man. I can't wait. Dude, thank you so much for coming on, and I really appreciate it. You have no idea. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. All right, man. Have a good night. Sure. Bye. Yep. All right, that is Bryn Swartz. You can follow him on Twitter at Eagle Central. He's a phenomenal guy to follow. Uh, he's just so knowledgeable about the Philadelphia Eagles. He covered them every day for such a long time. Um, he's also a brilliant writer. So, you know, I don't blow smoke. Um, I'm usually pretty honest, which gets me in trouble a lot. Um, Brain is pretty awesome. Um, I mean, he's not as great as Jay. 
but he's he's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay, AJ. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we got a, a little bit more uh, wrestling to talk about. Jay has his thoughts on the Kentucky Derby this Saturday. Um, we'll get into more of that. Uh, this is the hot tag. Um, now, before we go to a quick break, I just want to let you guys know, if you guys go to collarandelbowbrand.com, okay, you go there, and it's phenomenal uh, wrestling apparel, but you know it's it's not like WWE type stuff. Um, it's its own uh, little brand that's that's great. It's like wrestling passion meets like street fashion. Um, Collar and Elbow was founded, uh, you know, on the traditional values of pro wrestling. Uh, two entities working together to create a product intended to connect with people on an emotional level. Um, it's a symbiotic relationship where one uh, obviously can't flourish without one another. Um, they strive to create such a great product that embodies their passion um, for professional wrestling, and it's expressed through like normal uh, streetwear that we wear. It's not you know heavy WWE, heavy AEW. It's really really cool wrestling stuff. And everything is just so soft. It's so well made. Um, Al Snow, who everyone knows, is the president of the company. Uh, he's he he runs the whole show. Um, if you go there right now, you go to collarandelbowbrand.com. You go to your cart when you're about to make a purchase. Make sure you type in the code hot tag H O T T A G at checkout. You get 10% off your order and you help out the show um, grow, which is something that's super important. But um, I wear collar and elbow. Uh, my wife wears collar and elbow. Um, just check it out. Trust me, you'll, you'll find yourself. The prices are great. You will find yourself buying more than one T-shirt. Hashtag, I hope. Um, we'll be right back uh, after this little break. See ya. Welcome back, Hot Tag. Thank you so much to Bryn Swartz for, for calling in and talking uh, some Eagles football and some Phillies. So that was always good. Um, all right. So did you watch the Cody Rhodes promo that he did in response to uh, Goldust or Dustin no. Rhodes? Okay. No. Um, that was pretty amazing. I'll, I'll talk about that later when we have Matt Kuhn on. But okay, so Raw and SmackDown are in the books for this week, and we found out who the Money in the Bank participants are. Um, yes, we did. So um, now Money in the Bank is actually set up to be a really good pay-per-view uh, right now. You have both Money in the Bank ladder matches. You have Kofi versus Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles, The Miz versus Shane in a cage match. Um, Becky is wrestling Charlotte and Lacey Evans, correct? Correct. So it's a pretty big pay-per-view. I mean, this is, I mean, this is probably better than anything like a Survivor Series would put on. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, they have to go back to the five on fives. I, I think, agree. I think every Survivor Series I, match should just be five on. I I agree. Um, I'm with you on that. I mean, I think like we talked about last week, and I. I Money in the Bank is now their top four or five. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. Um, all right. So your thoughts now on the pay-per-view itself, Raw SmackDown. We will uh, put a little disclaimer on here that we just found out today that uh, Monday Night Raw, the third hour, dr- dipped under 2 million viewers, which is the lowest rating they've had a non-holiday, I mean, ever? Is it almost ever? I I know it's just not holiday. Or just, I don't know how long it's been. I mean, it's that's really bad. And 
I don't see how it's going to get better with the NBA playoffs going up. Um, I just don't see how the ratings are going to get better for them. Um, another bad thing that's going to hurt them in terms of Money in the Bank, I think Money in the Bank airs on the same night as the finale of Game of Thrones, May fifth, May nineteenth, which I think is the final episode of Game of Thrones. So they're going to get smashed by Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones just pulled in eighteen million viewers, a record for a television it. show. I, I watched it. So did eighteen other million other people. Your damn right. Um, so. Your thoughts on Game of Thrones? Ga- <laughs> your thoughts on this bill that we got to Money in the Bank? Uh, your thoughts on Raw and SmackDown? I don't, I'm not sure how much of it you watched. Um, I thought the best part of Raw was actually the end with Rollins and AJ. That was really good, man. AJ's such a good heel. Yeah. Um, your thoughts as as we get closer to to one of their bigger pay per views of the year? I think we talked about it actually prior to being on hitting record for this yeah, show. Yeah. That Raw started out with Alexa Bliss having her moment of bliss. Mm-hmm. Introducing the four members of the Money in the Bank, which were Braun, mm-hmm. uh, Ricochet, yep. Baron Corbin, yep. and Drew McIntyre. Yes. And they all went to the ring and they were doing your usual, I'm going to win the money in the bank because of this. I'm going to win the money in the bank because of this. And then you kind of just sat there and you went, hmm, well, Alexa Bliss is right in the middle. You have Ricochet and Braun on one side. You have Baron Corbin and Drew on the other side. Hmm, this is probably going to lead to a tag team match. Where, Somewhere, where Teddy, Teddy Long. Long. Holla, holla, holla. <laughs> um, by the way, best GM of all time. Agreed. Um, <laughs> but you kind of just felt it. Okay, that they're going to be, all right, they're going to be a tag team match. Mm-hmm. And the tag team match went on, and I was flipping back and forth between that and the Philadelphia 76ers mm-hmm. playing the Toronto Raptors. And it was like 8.35, 8.40, and this match is just about to wrap up. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that is, if you split each of the hours and a half hours, it's over 18% of the show, you've just committed to four guys. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And people are like, oh, well, we need more stars. We need more stars. Well, it's tough to get everybody in there when 18% of your show is just four guys. Right. Now, mind you, Ricochet is a new character into right. this script. So you can say, hey, well, they're building Ricochet up. But at the same time. He kind of gets lost in the shuffle with the other guys. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When you yeah. get. Because you still have the heat with Baron beating Kurt Angle. You still have <laughs> Drew McIntyre, who people are like, okay. This guy's going to win a world championship. When is he getting the world championship? Mm-hmm. And then you just have Braun, which people just want to see him throw people around. Yeah. Because not every you know, not everybody's six eight doing what he does, which mm-hmm. by the way, he has turned into an absolute monster with the shedding <laughs> of the weight. Yeah. I mean, he's six eight, three thirty of just Shred Right. And then right. we get into a situation where Money in the Bank is in three weeks. Yeah. And you can't tell me two weeks. Next, two weeks. Yeah. You can't tell me over the next two weeks there's not going to be one on one matches between those two. Right. Or something where they're involved with each other. And it's kind of like, okay, 
it's to the point where I think they were so successful back in the day in terms of wrestling because there was uh, groups that hated each other. Mm-hmm. Where, okay, you got four members of the Nation of Domination. You got four members of DX. All right, well, we can intertwine with each other. Like, yeah, like you might put The Rock versus X-Pac or The Rock versus, you know, Bob, <laughs> Billy. Uh, but it was something where it, even though the match was like – you looked at it and go, oh, the Rock should dominate. Yeah. It was still one of those, well, it's DX in the corner, it's that in the corner, and that just ensued, where now I feel like we're putting all these uh, matches together just one-on-one, but we're going to intertwine just one other person. It's kind of like, well, we just saw this match. Yeah. And there's no story really, building. What does it lead to? What, the right. in the bank when there's six other guys in there? Right. It's like, who's the clear-cut guy? And... and- Man, and I, I agree with you, and I think that's where they're struggling right now is there's no character building and there's no um, advanced storytelling. Right. I mean, we're going to – like you said, we're going to go the next two weeks of either a couple one-on-ones or, gosh, even maybe next week have another tag match with the other con- competitors of, the, uh, of that, probably on SmackDown, um, which I think they just had on SmackDown, right? It was I, I, I think there was a tag match because to- at the end, Randy Orton RKO'd Finn Balor. Right. Um, so mo- moving f- from that, I-, I think they're doing a tremendous job with Seth and AJ. Yes. The story's already written for them too. They don't have to. They can the, just print them, print money. With right. Them. They are, you know, and this isn't, and this includes AEW too because they have really great talent. I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong. We've seen Omega wrestle, and I think by far. Seth and AJ are one A and one B in the world. Yes, they have to be right. Yes, um, which is crazy because AJ's forty two years old. But um, AJ's also young in terms of the wrestling career, right? Because of total nonstop action, right? Or Impact, whatever you want to call it today. Yes. Um, so that's a great build. You don't really have to do much with there. That finale on Raw was so. I mean, I I didn't want them to touch until Money in the Bank because they're so good. But that was a great ending. I thought that was really creative and really cool. I think the Miz and Shane has had a is one of the only storylines in wrestling that has gone on longer than a month. So they have a really good build there. Um, so and what people are also forgetting is Money in the Bank is now slotted as basically what Backlash used to be. You're gonna get a couple rematches. You got basically now you do you have Shane Miz and then you got Becky who's wrestling twice. Uh, and Money in the Bank, you have Becky against Lacey Evans, and you have Becky against Charlotte. We've seen that a million times, but it's the blow off from WrestleMania because there's no Ronda. Right. So, um, and I, I, I think it's set up to be a, a great show. I think it's going to get massacred though because of Game of Thrones. And then you got the following week. Is it the next week? Yeah, next the following weekend is Double or Nothing. Right. So it's going to be. That whole week of wrestling, the whole landscape is going to change depending on what goes on at Double or Nothing. There's only one person that they need to set up with Becky Lynch, and that's Arya Stark. I don't know who that is. She killed the Night King. <laughs> I apologize. I, okay, I'm sorry. I apologize for the spoiler alert. It's if, been a few days. If anybody hasn't seen the episode. By the time this drops, which will either be late tonight or tomorrow, if you haven't seen it, you've known about it. We won't spoil Avengers Endgame because I haven't seen it. I'm not going to spoil that for you. Good. Um, I would never do that. I'm not one of those awful humans. Um, I can't even believe I made it to Sunday without knowing what happened. Unless um, you checked Shady McCoy's Twitter. Oh, but did you see it? No. But, oh, good. Because no, I, I saw it after and I went, that is an awful human being to yeah. do that. <laughs> um, 
All right, we're going to, before we go on our, our final break, and then we're going to get to Matt Kuhn to wrap up the show, Jay, actually, right before we came back from break, had a little bit of a breaking news for the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. Yeah. He wasn't too happy about it. Uh, um, it's not that I'm not happy But doesn't about it. it help the betting odds in a way? It does. Okay, All right, guys. so go ahead, because so, this is out of my realm. So let's go over this, ladies okay. and gentlemen. We have... <laughs> We have many things in common, Chris and I. <laughs> we both like wrestling. Yeah. We both love Philadelphia sports. Mm-hmm. We both probably have too many t-shirts for our own collection. <laughs> uh, we both like shoes. Yeah. Um, we both think Addison is a really great <laughs> child. Uh, one, yeah. but where the, as not to quote evolution, but where the, you know, the line in the sand is. Yeah. Uh, is betting. He's betting. <laughs> uh, Christopher does not bet. No. He bets on life every day. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm probably a borderline, if not the line looks like a dot to me, degenerate gambling. <laughs> degenerate. Um, so... One of the fun, one of my favorite things to do every year is bet on the Kentucky Derby. It is the greatest two minutes in all sports. Is that the premier gambling event? The Kentucky Derby. You know what's funny is to everybody's – it's not even the biggest – well, I can't say it. I'm trying to put in the correct words. So the Kentucky Derby is the most famous horse race. Right. But the best horse racing goes on – it's called the Breeders' Cup, which is in right. October. Which is funny because not that many people – it's not – I mean, it's starting to make streamline. But everybody – I think it's just because it's it's – I personally love this Saturday, and I was talking to somebody that we work with today, saying how I like it more than March Madness, and they were like, "Why?" And I was like, "It's just, I, it's just, it's 150 years old. I mean, it's like America. Well, not only that, but like you run into college basketball, college basketball games, and you go, okay, this team's going to demolish this, mm-hmm. this team. I mean, and yeah, we've seen it over the past couple of years, a 16 beat a one." All that type of stuff. But for the most part, you can kind of predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Whereas, and for the last six years, the favorite has won the Kentucky Derby. Breaking news, the favorite has just actually been withdrawn and scratched from the Kentucky Derby. But it's two minutes where anything can happen. There's no, there's no, I mean, there's our odds, but any horse has a shot. There was a 50 to one that won a few years, you know, a couple years ago. All right. So going through it, uh, I'm going to give you guys... A favorite that probably will win. Okay. Well, one of the favorites, because there's about a four to five horse field right now for that. Um, Omaha Beach was the favorite. He was four to one. He has been scratched. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the new the new favorite will be Improbable, who I personally think is going to win the Derby. And I would have, or either him, that's probably who the favorite's going to be. I personally would have gone with Roadster. Or quality road with Bob Baffert. A fun fact about Bob, ba- uh, Bob Baffert, and he's won the last three. He's wow. the New England Patriots of trainers. <laughs> um, so I believe that he is probably going to win the Derby if I have to put money on it, which <laughs> I will. <laughs> every every single horse race uh, at JMI two M JMIL two one on Twitter. Uh, I probably post every bet. Okay. Um, a long shot that I like in this race. Uh, looking at it, I 
totally forgot my paperwork at work today about all this, so thank you. Uh, is the number two horse tax? Uh, it's twenty to one. I like him up there. There's another horse I like. I apologize right now. I'm looking through the names. I'm trying to remember the names. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Also, win, win, win. Uh, number f- coming out of the 14th slot. Um, 12 to one. I like him. So, but yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting on Saturday. It's supposed to be a sloppy track, which oh, again, which why. It's such a huge deal because Omaha Beach was on the turf for a while and it was a so-so horse. Then they moved it to the dirt and it just all of a sudden became a primetime horse. Mm-hmm. Now with the mud, it was the best mudder. If any Seinfeld people out there, his mudder was a mudder. That's funny. I know that reference. Um, so, But now he's off the board, so now it's kind of turning into a wide-open race. And this is a type of race where money will be won. Okay. it's That's my prediction. Money okay. will be won. But if, like I said, if you have to go with somebody, I would go with Roadster. And then win, win, win. So, okay, since I am not a gambler, I'm going to ask this question. I mean this. I ask this all the time. And I always used to ask my dad this. Like, what do these odds mean? What are the over-unders? What does it mean? So, if I heard you say one of the horses is 20 to 1. 20 to 1, correct. Isn't that, in my head, I'm just asking, you can tell me if I'm wrong. In my head, doesn't that tell me that's the horse to bet on? No. Okay. That's farther. So, a 20 to 1 means for every $1 that you bet on him to win, you'll win 20. So why wouldn't I want to bet 20 bucks on him? You can put 20 bucks on him, but okay. it's a longer. So you there's a guy that's 5 to 1. Okay. Actually 9 to 2 is 4 and a half to 1. Okay. So right now that would be game winner as the favorite. These lines probably have changed in the past hour based on the scratch to Omaha Beach. I guess it'll be completely different tomorrow. Oh, they'll you're gonna they're gonna change. I think if well the best part is too is that there's not an overwhelming favorite, so there's not gonna be like a two to one favorite okay. towards the race, but there probably will be mm-hmm. just because there was a five to six horse field, now you're looking at a four to five horse field in terms of what people are predicting. People are going to start hammering one horse. It, okay. it just happens, but that doesn't always necessarily mean that that's the horse. It's so it, there's so many factors that go into it. Does the horse get to the rail? Does the, how does the jockey race not leading? How does it feel in the pack and everything like that? So there's so many so many factors that go into this. This is why I think that this is kind of a little bit better than sports gambling, mm-hmm. and you don't have to wager as much to win as much. Okay, that's. That's awesome. See, that's the kind of Jay that I need every week. <laughs> so, uh, all right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show with Matt Kuhn um, as our special guest of the week. I cannot wait to uh, talk wrestling and, and wrestling podcasting with uh, Matt. Uh, Matt's really big, a really big deal with his own two shows. And he's, he's a big deal with Conrad Thompson when you know he helps out with the shows of um, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Uh, Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard and uh, um, what happened when with Tony Schiavone. So um, I can't wait to talk to him about all that and his relationship, his dynamic relationship with Vince Russo, um, how that must be um, recording a show with him every single week. So this has been the hot tag. I am Chrissy Francesco. That is Jason Miller. You can follow Jay at JMIL21 on Twitter and get all his uh, all your gambling needs and information from him. Jay's also pretty famous in terms of his Twitter if you pay attention back to the Bryce Harper saga. Um, he's a pretty big deal. If To be honest with you, you can pretty much thank Jay for Bryce even wanting to come here. Yeah. Um, 
Totally. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely agree. <laughs> um, so we'll be right back after this. Now, right before we go to break, remember, go to collarandelbowbrand.com. Get a purchase. Anything you want. They have shorts. They have pants. They have shirts, um, hats, um, jackets. When you get to checkout, type in the code hot tag H O T T A G. You get 10% off your order. Um, and, uh, a little bit, uh, gets a nice little kickback, uh, to, to the show as well to help us continue to grow. So thank you so much for those who have done that already. Um, so thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate that. Um, Jay, you are probably out of here. I'm probably out of here. All right, cool. We will be ready for next week, hopefully to talk, uh, um, the build up to, uh, money in the bank. Only God knows what's going to happen with this Dean Ambrose thing or John Mox. I gotta get used to saying John Moxley now moving forward. Um, so much is going on. WWE announced today that Goldberg and Brock Lesnar are going to be at the next Saudi Arabia event in June. So Goldberg's not going to AEW, which was apparently like almost guaranteed. Um, so it's all about the money. That's and right. And hopefully I have a lot more next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and we will also, I uh, guess, review the Kentucky Derby next week as well. So um, thank you so much to Jay. And uh, I will be right back with Matt Kuhn on the other side. Uh, talk to you guys in just a few seconds. Welcome back, everybody. Christy Francesco here um, with the hot tag. Uh, you will hear this on wiretapradio.com, and I will be uploading this on SoundCloud as usual uh, by the end of the night, hopefully. Uh, on the line with us right now, he literally does everything um, with podcasting and especially in the pro wrestling world. Uh, he's a host of Total, Total Engagement on MLW Network and the co-host of Truth with Consequences um, with Vince Russo. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, the Matt Coon is on with us right now. What's going on, Matt? Hey, well, that's kind of you to say, man. I, I uh, am glad to be here on the hot tag. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. No, it, and, and I've, I've been hearing your voice. And, I mean, obviously, I listen to both of your podcasts, and I've been hearing your voice for quite a few years now, ever since you started basically uh, with Conrad and Bruce, correct? Oh, yeah, that's how it, um, that's how it all started. Um, I got... Um, involved with Conrad Bruce because uh, Conrad did a tweet and he said I need um, a song and it was like an instrumental version of a song and all my equipment was was uh, in storage my recording equipment but for some reason I, I tweeted him and I said DM'd him and I said uh, I, I can't uh, find a song but I can make you that song and he's like go for it and then um, I made the song and I did some other music for him and then I started doing some research for him and then uh, Bruce and Conrad uh, invited me to do the theme song. And so I guess I hit it out of the park with that one because everybody seemed to really like it. And then Conrad just started asking me to do more and more. And so I basically produced something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard for about a year where they would just give me the, they would just give me the, the, um, the body of the show, them talking, and everything else you heard was me. So, you know, the commercials and, the, the you know, the music and the beginnings and the endings, that was my job to get done. And on, you know, three, four, five-hour podcasts, it's a big, a big, uh, a big role. Absolutely. And my first question to you basically is to, to piggyback off of what you just said is to tell me a little bit more about your, your story and how you got into this incredibly popular and, and 
rapidly growing world of podcasting um, about pro wrestling, your start with Conrad, but not just with Conrad, but then veering off into hosting your own show. I know you did a show with Dutch Mantel, and then you have your own show, and then now you're with Vince Russo. So how did all of this just come together? And it kind of seems like it all came together fairly quickly. It really did. I've been doing this for like, I've been hosting podcasts for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I never did any voice stuff. I never did any radio. I'm a musician. I own a music school. That's my day job. It's a pretty successful business. And one day, I, and I have a son who's 16 who we go to all these wrestling events together. Awesome. And we started doing that when I got divorced. So we started going to manias and all this stuff. And I've always liked wrestling. I've watched it since I was a kid. So we're talking about 30 years of watching wrestling. And uh, I, I was dating somebody and I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to do something in wrestling. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I, I, I don't know. Am I right? something I'm gonna do something and I just knew I would and then the Conrad thing came about and nothing really gets separated from Conrad if I'm being honest with you because from there Conrad's like do you want to produce Tony's show and I'm like sure and I did Tony's show for a while and made the theme song that people seem to like on that show and then you know um, because of the work there uh, Court Bauer from MLW said hey we need some help with the Dutch show we need some production because the production needs some work and I kind of got myself on the air um, as like a third voice and then slowly but surely it was just me and Dutch and then through there you know um, I got a call from Terry Runnels to host her show um, and uh, from there I I did Medusa's show and not everything I was there for a, a long time but I'm just getting lots of experience and, and um, I imagine those people got my name and number from Conrad as well as uh, Vince Russo and so I interviewed Vince Russo I keep, I'm talking in circles, but the first real success I had as a host was why it ended with Robbie E. Mm-hmm. And I met Robbie on the Terry Runnels show and um, interviewed him. And then he called me maybe two weeks later and said, I have this idea. And we go, that's freaking great. So why it ended was a pretty big hit. And, um, you know, through there, he said, I can get Russo. And I've always been a Russo critic. So I'm like, dude, get him on. I love to ask him all this shit. I love to get to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, he liked it. Vince Russo liked it because I challenged him on everything, but I wasn't a dick. And, you know, I did. Um, and in a way, I was auditioning, you know, to be his co-host. I kind of knew <laughs> that Vince Russo had another show in him. And, um, you know, I guess I, I will break this on your show, I guess. I've never said this publicly, I don't think. But when I interviewed Vince Russo, I told friends, I said, I am inter- I am interviewing to be Vince Russo's co-host, and he doesn't even know it. And... Um, <laughs> You know, because I, I knew there was a good show there, you know, and I yeah. also, as, as soon as we announced Vince, I was convinced he wasn't this terrible person because of the weird tweets I got from all these crazy people. But anyway, that's kind of how I got to um, to the point I am now where I'm doing my own show, which is uh, Total Engagement, which took over from Wyatt Ended, and also um, working with Vince, but I also still do a lot of music for podcasts and a lot of music for StarCast, and I'm pretty much working 24 hours a day right now. Uh, I mean, just by you know hearing what you do, and even by listening to podcasts, I, I, I look at you, and I look at Conrad, and I go, I mean, I, there's not enough hours in a day for everything that you guys do, and it's really honorable, and it's and it's really cool. As someone, for me, who I've worked in radio for, for, for quite some time, um, I don't anymore, but I did, and then doing podcasting, I just go to my and I think to myself how do you guys find all that time to do it and it's it's truly amazing I, and, it, and it bothers me when people ridicule um, 
sometimes content that maybe you have or Conrad has. And I think to myself, do you have any idea what goes in to what you guys do? And the content you guys are producing and, and putting out there is stuff that wrestling fans have been itching for for so many years. So it really does bother me when, when people come at you guys as hard as they do. Um, and, and it's just it's just it's wild to me. And to to go off of what you were saying about Russo, um, while doing a show with him, and I, and like I told you before, I had him on a couple times. Have you ever even had a full blown argument with the guy, even off the air? Because I'll I'll tell you what, Matt is. I know he catches, and you know this, more heat than anybody else in the wrestling business. But he has to be one of the nicest guys I've ever talked to. That has to do that w- within the pro wrestling circle. So why does he just continuously? To this day, still catch so much heat. Well, uh, before I get to get that, let me address something you, you said earlier. You know, to put me in the same neighborhood with Conrad is is a huge compliment. He's so successful, and the reality is, the reason that guys like him and me, and I think one thing he likes about me is that I do work hard. But we just make choices to work instead of do other things. Mm-hmm. Conrad's the smartest dude I know. So if you had the smartest dude I know to you can't work harder than him. Um, you know, it's it's impossible to beat. For me, I know there are people that might be smarter than me, who have more talent than me. Um, there's not very many who are more motivated than me or will put in the hours I will put in. Mm-hmm. You know, besides my work, raising my kid, and, um, you know, podcasting, I'm just driven towards success with all of those things. You know, to get to Russo, Russo is a nice guy. You know, uh, Conrad told me when I was, you know, when Vince called me, you know, Conrad's my friend. He's probably one of my best friends, maybe my best friend. Mm -hmm. Although he's probably got a lot of friends as good as me (laughs) um, to him. But, you know, while I'm talking to Vince, I'm texting Conrad at the same time, you know. And so uh, Conrad's like, Vince is a nice guy. He's misunderstood. You know, and I think that's a pretty fair assessment of it. We have had arguments off the air um, that, you know, have been, um, you know, heated, I guess. But, um, you know, on the air, we keep it cool. And off the air, like, dude, like, seriously, when we Skype and we start interviewing, we talk forever before and after. You know, we, we're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, we, we definitely have had uh, our share of arguments off, off air. Have you? Uh, I, I'm not sure if I heard this wrong. On I think one of the previous episodes that you guys did together is this his final year talking about pro wrestling? Is he stopping pro wrestling podcasts altogether at the end of the year? He really wants to. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't think so. Like I think it's Terry Funk. You know I think. <laughs> He wants to retire. He thinks he should retire. He really doesn't want to talk about wrestling. But, I mean, he's making money doing this. He's making a good living mm-hmm. uh, doing doing podcasting. So unless he finds something different, then probably not. Um, I hope he does if that's what gives him the happiness. But just to kind of rib him a little bit, as soon as he said that the first time, I just climbed all over it. And I said, you know, uh, uh, all right, Vince, this is your farewell tour. You know, this is the last time we're talking about it ever, <laughs> you know, just to mess with him. And let me also loop back to one other thing I forgot to say is that mm-hmm. about Conrad is that uh, you're saying you feel bad for us because we work so hard and people give a shit. And not not to speak for him, but I'm pretty, I know he feels the same way. You know, we're okay. Like, we make money doing this. Yeah. You know, like, we make money. Like, I make, 
more money doing podcasting than I did at my first full-time job. Wow. And, um, you know, and, and so, and, the, and Twitter's not real. Like, if you think about it, very few people really are active. You know, 81% of all tweets come from, like, 2% of the population, right? Right. So if you look at wrestling podcasts, these people that hate me or go at me or whatever, I mean, first of all, they don't matter. If they mm-hmm. did, um, they would. And, and second of all, like, they don't represent anybody. They represent, like, 10 people, probably four people with multiple accounts. And they're the ones talking all this shit. And really, they're just obsessed with wrestling and wrestling podcasts. And, um, you know, so I'm honored they're listening and they have an opinion on me and they can keep doing that um, as much as they want. It doesn't bother me and it doesn't make the work I do less valued. No, and I understand that. And it's funny because um, I've actually been trying to talk to Conrad for a couple weeks now. We've been kind of going back and forth on Twitter and he's just been, you know, that goes without saying the guy has been busy. I think last week he responded to me in DMs and said, you know, I haven't been home in like 12 days and I've been trying to get him on a, a time to where he and I can can chat on the podcast. And I hope down the road that does happen. But I remember talking to him and I remember going at somebody responding to someone that was really kind of personally like attacking Conrad on Twitter. I remember Conrad direct messaging me said, Hey, dude, you know why none of this ever bothers me is because I just know that he's ripping me, which means he just downloaded the podcast and chances are he's going to listen again next week. So when you say they don't matter, you're absolutely correct, because no matter what, you got him hook, line and sinker no matter what. So um, I, I get what you're saying yeah, the, from the, there. The, the first, you know, I'm um, I'm good friends with one of the greatest bass players in the world. against Victor Wooten. And whenever I get to talk to him, he's very smart. So I never talked about music. When I talked to Conrad, I never really talked to him about wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked to him usually about business. Mm-hmm. And the first conversation I ever, this is the first conversation I ever had with him. We had DM'd, I'd done some work for him, all this stuff. I said, dude, I got to ask you a business question. He's like, cool. And he called me. And I said, how do you not take things personally? Because for me and my business, I take things very personally. And he's like, dude, you know, you don't romanticize your relationship with your customer. You know, you're in business to make money. And like, it, just that one conversation with him, I was like, dude, that's totally right. You know, and he said a lot of other smart things. But when it comes to business, he's got it down. That's not a work or anything. Like, it literally doesn't bother him. Because Al Snow once said to me, um, in an interview that if somebody's talking about you, they're putting you over. If they right. ignore you, you're, you're burying them. So you look at the trolls out there, they talk about me nonstop. They're, they're obsessed and it's awesome. And I don't even ignore, I've never even said their names, you know? So, uh, it's just kind of, um, people don't know when they're being worked, I guess sometimes. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong about that at all. So, um, Jumping around a little bit, and uh, I, this is something I, I usually do when I'm talking to wrestling people is I jump around based on either what you said or something that just comes into my head that I want to talk about is a couple weeks ago, you did the the show on the screw job, which, you know, it, it was based off and it was fresh off that Viceland mini documentary that they did, <laughs> The Dark Side of the Ring. And it's been 22 years coming up this year since that, that night in Montreal. And every conceivable story about that event has been told 10 different ways, uh, Matt. And why is this still such a polarizing topic, you think, so many decades later? Well, you know, it's because wrestling got real, but it was still wrestling. You know what I'm saying? Like, wrestling had an angle that actually was a real-life angle that we saw play out, and it was still in a wrestling context. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like Chris Benoit. You know, it wasn't like something so, or the Von Erics, 
right? It wasn't something so outside the the safety of, of the world. You know, it didn't involve death or it didn't involve murder or anything like that. It was like this really, like, wow, wrestling can be real. I totally think that's what it is, by the way. I think people <laughs> love being taken out of the moment. And it was a moment that was real. But it was also in the context of wrestling. So... Let me tell you, man, me and Vince's show on the, uh, Montreal, because we did Montreal that week, too. Oh, it was my, awesome. My, oh, thank you. Yeah, I thought it was our best show. Yeah, I think um, so, too. And, but uh, that was our most downloaded show. Wow. So we're talking like, you know, 1997. And I know way more of it about it than I ever should. November 9th, 1997, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's... It, it doesn't surprise me because to me it's still one of the most compelling stories where I did a show about is it is it a work? Was it real? And I think I made a compelling case that it's plausible. You know, I don't think it's what happened, but I think if you said was it a work, it doesn't make you an idiot. You know what I'm saying? Right. I agree. When but the to to, to carry on from that, knowing Bret Hart who he is and, and what he's been so outspoken and so bitter about that night. I mean, to me, he's he's either the greatest actor worker in the history of television and pro wrestling, or you know this this whole thing, like like you said, was just a, not a complete work. Like that's the thing is, wouldn't we have found out by now? You think if it was a complete work with the entire business in 2019 being as exposed as it is. Sure. And that's my issue with most conspiracy theories. Is right. That, you know, whether it be nine 11 or the moon landing or whatever, there's so many people in on it. Somebody would have had to break. Right mm-hmm. now. You know what I'm saying? Right. So for me, the only way I can make the Montreal screw job, a plausible work in my end is if there were only two guys involved. Right. Bret Hart and Mr. Man. And they're the only ones who know. And everybody's getting work. But you have to take a leap of faith to say, okay, Brett's working his brother. Brett's working his wife. Mm-hmm. Brett's working his family. Um, because, you know, Owen called Russo just terribly upset the next day. But it might even be as simple, it could even be as simple as, uh, you know, Brett, go make that money. I'm going to save some money. And we'll see in like three years. And we'll both be okay. You know, it could that that's the only way I see it happening. But I, I still don't think it did. But a wrestler, you know, I I texted a wrestler from the Attitude Era that I talk to occasionally, and I'm like, hey man, let me ask you this: the Montreal screw job. Why, why do so many guys think it's a work? I put it like that instead of saying, do you think it's a work? And he goes, dude, we all think it's a work. <laughs> it's like oh my everybody goodness. thinks that, that's. Everybody thinks that Brett's went, Brett went down there to take Ted Turner's money. And I think it, it would have to be as simple as that. And on the show Total Engagement I went to and how I went into it, who believes it's a work? You know, mm-hmm. Kevin Nash, pretty close to the click, right? Mm-hmm. Scott Hall, pretty close to the click. You know, Billy Gunn, Road Dog, Jesse James, uh, very close <laughs> to every, you know, to the, to the people involved, Paul Bear. You know, there's a lot of people that believe it was on a level. So I didn't want to just go into it and say, oh, well, I know more than these guys. I know more than friggin' Billy Gunn. That's ridiculous. I don't know more about wrestling than any wrestler. But Billy Gunn or Road Dog, like, that's crazy. So let's see what's there. And so I think I examined it and um, let people make up their own minds. Uh, it's just, it's wild. But thank you for going in depth about that. Those, those two shows yours on total engagement and then the one with Russo were just just fascinating to read uh, um and and just to, to and to listen to and um I think I've actually listened to the one with you and Russo I think 
part. I listened to it again yesterday, and it's like one of those shows to where there's a couple shows between you and Conrad that I could listen to all the time. My favorite for Conrad that he's ever done was he and Bruce's episode about WrestleMania 19. I thought that was probably one of the best shows I've ever heard. That one and the Bret Hart, you know, marathon that they did. Um, and then yours is definitely the Montreal screw job. And it's just so fascinating that 20, 22 years later that this still is something, like you said, it just still feels so real. It feels like it didn't happen 20 years ago. And, um, do you find it surprising that with all the the recent press about the Montreal Screwjob that we haven't heard a lick from Shawn Michaels at all? No, no, I'm not because WWE keeps a pretty tight lid okay. on people, you know. Yeah, and he's much more present as a on screen role in NXT and uh, off screen force in NXT. So he probably has a um, a pretty tight lid on him. And then Brett is kind of like I've said all there is to say. My book's like. 40,000 pages, so, you know, read it the book, because it's the biggest damn book you've ever, it's bigger than one of my computer monitors, like, it's it's gigantic. Yeah, I think it's like 650 pages, I think, right around there, um, it's gigantic. It's not a Chris Jericho. It's not, no. <laughs> um, now, I want to kind of, not switch gears, but switch, you know, companies, basically, now, the whole wrestling world lit up at, like, 7 o'clock this morning, when... Dean Ambrose or John Moxley released that video, which really has the whole world on fire right now in terms of pro wrestling. Now, what were your thoughts? Because now there's, I don't even call it a conspiracy theory, but there's so much going around that people think it's got to be AEW with little hints inside of it. But then people say there's no way within a time period that he his contract ended at WWE and then how great the production value of that video was. Could that be AEW? It has to be WWE. Do you think this is an AEW thing a hundred percent, or do you think this could be one of the best swerves that WWE has pulled in some time? Man, if it's a swerve, they swerve me and bless them for it because I love getting fooled. Mm -hmm. But there's one reason why I definitely don't think it's WWE. I don't have any inside information, but just going by the video, the blood and the barbed wire. Oh, uh, makes the sense. The blood and the barbed wire, there's no blood, or there's no blood in WWE. There's not somebody, um, you know, mauling themselves with barbed wire and holding it there. That's not a thing. I don't think there were clues in the video as far as where he's going. Um, they showed him jogging past the Viper room, which has the word Viper, but people are really clinging to the two and the five on the on the dice, you know, but really, I mean, nobody's talking about the, what does the word Viper mean, or what is the the lady thing there, it's it's a logo for the Viper room, in, in where River Phoenix died, in LA. Oh, okay. And, but, the first shot I had, I mean, the first instinct had to go, wow, it's really well produced, and I actually did some research on it really quick, because I'm thinking, I do a lot of these um, music stuff, a lot, a lot of these music stuff, is what I just said, I'm tired, but a lot of this music <laughs> stuff, and I heard the pad that was underneath it, and I was like, dude, I've heard that before, and I go, is that the same music from the um, WBE, um, what is that, uh, what is the commercial they do with all the training gear, um, tap out? Tap out. Okay. It's very similar. Okay. So I listened to it, and I even like said, could they have slipped it around because if it's the same pad then it's probably the same producer so it's probably because we like certain pads that we use at different times mm -hmm. but 
you know, it, I don't think it's WWE. I just think he it has to be AEW. Where is he going to go that's going to give him the money for a production like that? And AEW doesn't have a great record of producing, you know, super awesome videos. Dave Lagana produces some nice videos, um, but I don't think he's associated with AEW at all right now. Um, but I think it was probably outsourced out to a different company, like, you know, uh, somebody paid some money and they got a director, got a writer, got a concept going, and they've probably been working on it for about a month. Where else is he going to go that's going to have that kind of money besides AEW? Nowhere. Right. Um, now, sticking with AEW, um, you know, you have Money in the Bank, May 19th, and then who are, I mean, that, that event is shaping up to be a, one of their top three of the year. However, they're going to get slaughtered in terms of ratings because it's also the night of the finale of Game of Thrones. So that's, they're, they're fresh off their worst rating of a non-holiday show. And I mean, I couldn't even tell you how long. I mean, I'm 32. Raw has been around since 93. I don't know. I can't name the I don't remember the last time they had under two million viewers for for an episode of Raw. Um, AEW's Double or Nothing is the week after Money in the Bank. What are your thoughts on this whole AEW thing? I know Cody Rhodes has been so outspoken, whereas we're not here to compete with WWE. We're here to be on alternative. I remember when Eric Bischoff did the 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 press conference for for Nitro. He used the words. We want to be an alternative. We don't necessarily want to compete. So to me, alternative means I'm going to compete. And um, in terms of like television ratings, I know they're not necessarily going to compete on the same night because I don't think that's going to be happening. Do you see AEW maybe in the first year making a significant change to the business to where you might finally see Vince McMahon begin to think, okay, I really need to change gears here, especially with how rapid this audience of his is just depleting. Yeah. You know, my life is weird. So I got in a debate about this with Disco Inferno like yesterday on Twitter. Um, absolutely. That's exactly what's going to happen. When, when Nitro debuted, it was almost like, the overall wrestling audience increased like in by 80% in one night, right? Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't like all the law, all, it wasn't like the entire, um, rating of nitro was from the losses of raw that night. Of course they didn't compete head to head the first night, but the next week it was like the wrestling audience almost doubled in one night because, you know, Vince like, and his people that, you know, parrot the things he says, they believe this whole like, um, paradigm of casual fans and and hardcore fans right but there's like so many different grades in between it's way more complex than that and there are some dormant wrestling fans out there and i think i think the rating of aew will be enough to it's not so much convince vince like he's not gonna be like i've been wrong the whole time but he's gonna be kicked in a high gear he's gonna be kicked in creative and motivational overload and Vince McMahon, when he is motivated and he is creative and he, you know, figures stuff out, I think it's going to be a huge boom period, especially because of how low ratings are now. Like, you can't have an economic recovery without having a, you know, um, a recession. And right now we're in a big wrestling recession where there's going to be a recovery and AEW getting such smart marketing and really doing everything right as far as getting attention to their product, they're going to be able to make a, a, a big 
splash right away, I believe. And I think it's going to make the WWE step up. I believe a year from now, we will see WWE ratings up from where they are now. Do you think the content of WWE goes, I'm not going to say attitude error because I, I, I don't want to see that again. That was just, it was great for the time period that it was in. Um, do you see the content maybe get a again i don't want to use the word edgy as the attitude era but do you see wwe being forced to produce edgier content to maybe like vince russo believes wholeheartedly i hear you guys talk about it a lot that the casual fan is dead that's what vince russo believes do you think wwe can get edgy enough to bring back that that edgier um content to bring back the casual fans you know with the casual fan thing, the reason it doesn't work is because the audience has been whittling down for the last 25 years. So at what point are do you make as the overlord of what's casual, and what's hardcore, the demarcation line for when mm-hmm. casual fans start, you know, when hardcore fans start, like are all the fans now hardcore fans are losing hardcore fans. What's the number of that, you know? And yeah. so the same people watch every week, not like, 75% of people watch one week and 75% uh, of the other people watch the other week. You know, it's just so simplistic. But it, it's also self-serving to Vince's idea of, you know, what his place in the history of wrestling is to, you know. So he does believe that. Um, and I think he has to. Um, as far as, um, you know, WWE producing the kind of content they're going to have to and whether it should be edgy or not, I'm not sure if that's the answer. I think we've seen companies try to do that, TNA, you know, and it necessarily just ends up being something else we don't want to watch. Right. So hopefully, I think they figure out that people want to see angles, people want to care about what they're watching, people want to be invested in who wins and who loses. You know, right now, good wrestling good wrestling is invested in uh, our fans are invested in wanting to see a good match which is fine it's great i dig it i dig good matches but that doesn't make for compelling television for the next week you know give them a reason to fight you know dawson and a dash against the usos you know have some heat have the revival attack the usos and shave their heads and then carry bags of hair around with them you know and and have an angle going into a blood feud with the Usos and the Revival. Mm-hmm. So a great match can be a bonus point like it was in the Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express. There was heat to that feud, not just, hey, let's see these two great tag teams wrestle. That was not even a thing then, you know? And um, even when they fought the Horsemen, when the Midnight Express did a feud with the Horsemen, which was heel against heel at the time, they really felt the need to build up that angle a whole bunch. Give reason, give people a reason to want to believe someone's going to win or someone's going to lose in the narrative, just like they would in Game of Thrones. Yeah, do, do you think the Fox deal in October is really going to light a fire? Under WWE, I, I mean, almost force them because I do. I, I've read reports, and I, you know, I'm the dirt sheets annoy me to no end each and every day. But um, they have said before that Fox, I think they said, has an opt out of this mega deal. Do you think through this summer? If you're WWE, don't you want to try to have probably the best summer you've had in so many years to go maybe go into that Fox deal as hot as possible? Wouldn't that be a priority right now? Oh, for sure. And, you know, summers always suck, right? Summers right. are always kind of like, 
the down point where they're just like kind of, you know, treading water. They don't know quite what they want to do. They're trying a couple different things and some litmus tests for WrestleMania. But generally, summers are kind of down. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of think about the way Vince thinks about this where he says um, they don't have the people they need to do the job. I'm not sure I agree with that, but it's possible if they're motivated at this point, do they have the people there mm-hmm. to to fix things quickly? There's no quick fix. So you'd have to do it slowly. You'd have to build up some characters. You couldn't. Uh, that's why hot shotting never worked, right? Hot, shot, hot shotting never built up ratings ever. Right. You know, it was always, you know, something that, that caught fire from within, which is another reason why the casual fan thing doesn't work because it's people aren't flipping channels. People are hearing from their friends. This show's awesome. Let's watch it, you know? Um, so I think that uh, uh, I don't think it's going to happen in the summer. And I think, honestly, I don't know about the opt-out thing, but I know, generally speaking, when WWE gets more money, they get more lackadaisical. Oh, that's a great point. I actually never thought about that. <laughs> um, last question for you, Matt. And once again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out. I know it's, again, you have such a busy schedule, and I really appreciate this so much. Um, I'm not, not asking you to bury anyone at all, but I like asking people who have podcasts this question is, who has been your absolute favorite guest you've interviewed? And then who has been someone that you expected more out of but were kind of disappointed? happens a lot it's it's a wrestler thing you know a lot of times you will get somebody who will just give you the standard answers and then as soon as you get off the air um you know they tell you all the real shit no that's frustrating why the hell (laughs) would you do that and um you know i guess offhand i've enjoyed everybody i'm trying to think of like robbie and i used to text back and forth during bad interviews and just be like kill me you know but i can't remember I think sometimes some of the older guy. Oh well, this is probably easy. The first Brutus Beefcake interview. Oh, because Brutus was punk and he was oh. aggressive and he was, um, you know, weird and you know, yelling at Robbie to read the book when we asked him questions. Um, so that would be the least favorite. My favorite, and this is just no question about it, was getting to interview Tony Schiavone. Um, Tony's like uh, that was great in all of press. What's that? That was a great show. Oh, I was marking out. Like, I've never marked out on the show ever. Like, I've never, I'm like, okay, cool, I'm talking to so-and-so. It's great, you know, I'm a fan, but, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I just don't. I just, I'm gonna have a job to do. But Tony, I know, you know what I'm saying? Like, Tony, someone I've gotten to know in the last three or four years, and I have so much respect for him as a human being who he is today, as a funny, entertaining, talented person who doesn't take himself seriously, who doesn't have an ego, and then also, like, the soundtrack of my youth who was there in so many of my great moments, and also, man, you know when you interview somebody, and I don't know if you're having that moment now, but when you're interviewing someone who can talk and lead the show and answer questions the way, you know, in a way you want them answered, not just give you a lot of yes and no's, that's the best. Tony is the best guest of all time, for sure. No, and and I'm having absolutely one of those moments. I don't blow smoke, and, and I'm having one of those moments with you tonight because I'm able to counter what you're replying me with. I'm actually able to have a wrestling conversation or an adult conversation with someone that I respect and I, and someone that I enjoy. Cause I mean, you provide me with hours of joy a week with the content that you pro- provide for us. And, um, 
with Shivani, I was at WrestleCon. I was, you know, all over the place for WrestleMania weekend because it was the first WrestleMania I've ever had a chance to attend. And I was at WrestleCon and all these top-notch superstars were there, all these famous guys that I grew up watching my whole last, you know, the last 27, 28 years I've watched wrestling. And when I got to WrestleCon, the only person I wanted to go seek out and find was Tony Shivani. And uh, when I went up to Tony, he was with Eric Bischoff, and I got to chat with Eric Bischoff for a little bit and catch up with him. When I got to Tony, he was just so warm, and he was just uh, – he was – it was – unlike what I ever expected. And I said, you know, what's going on, Tony? How are you? And he asked me for my name. He asked me where I was from. Um, he asked me how long I've been watching. It's like, I'm sitting here now he's interviewing me and I just want to say thank you to the guy. And, and it was so, it was so amazing. And I, and I thanked him and I said, look, and I know you get this all the time, but literally from 90, you know, five through 99, I was, I love WCW. I flipped back and forth because I was always growing up a massive Sting fan. And I said to him, look, from 95 to like 99, when I was around 10 to 15 years old, you literally just, you know, helped wrestling come alive for me. And I, and I said, I don't know how much that means to you, but I want to thank you so much because no matter what anybody says to you, you you do make a huge difference in people's lives. And I think that goes to show the success of the What Happened When um, podcast and just how he's been able to come out of nowhere the last few years and be back entrenched in the wrestling business. And I don't think anybody else deserves it more than Shivani. So I was really happy to hear you say that that was the best interview because if Tony Shivani's name is on something, I'm locked in. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to pay for it. So that was pretty cool to hear that from you. Yeah, yeah, I was. I saw him too at WrestleCon um, against the wall there with Bischoff and those two jackasses that were working with him, uh, uh, Jay Z Flair and uh, my <laughs> friends Jay Z Flair and Dave Hancock were were both working with them, and they're good friends of mine. And um, so it was great. It's like um, you know, Bischoff and I were kind of we're cool. You know, I work with Russo, so there you go. But he oh. stood up, he shook my hand. Good to see me. You know, we've had some back and forths. And then, of course, Tony always gets up and gives me a big hug, you know. And um, But, you know, it's nice of you to say, you know, with the interviewing and going back and forth, I think the most important thing, I guess, to anybody who's going to interview people, I'm not an expert on it, but I get a lot of compliments from the wrestlers. Tom mm-hmm. Lawler, Joey Ryan, Brian Tillman Jr., Lex Luger. You know, wow, dude. And both, you know, Lawler and Joey Ryan said, thank you, Matt. Thank you for not just reading off our Wikipedia. You knew about us because the key is to do the work. You just want to do the work. So when it came to Tony Schiavone, who I worked with (laughs) and I did his show and I know, and I watched my whole life, I could wing a conversation with Tony Schiavone, but I did hours of research. I did probably three hours of research. I had a format and I got that from Conrad. That's what Conrad does on his shows. And, um, you know, if you do the work, usually it pays off. At the very least, if you do the work, you get better at it. You know, so I guess that's the um, number one piece of advice. You know, I'd have besides making a conversation, but be really prepared. You know, be as prepared as you can be. And what you can do is just research other interviews they've done and ask them questions about what they said, as opposed to going, "Hey, Buff Bagwell, you know, tell us about." Um, leaving WCW, you know, instead of saying, hey, 
So when Shane hit Shane Helms hit you with a water bottle when you were training in the WWF dojo, did you feel you should have had to be there, or do you think you were ready just to go to the? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. ask a question about what he said, not just general Wikipedia questions. You know, it was it's pretty cool you say that, and one of the coolest compliments I ever had in my life at any from any job or anything I've ever done was when I interviewed Jim Ross. I remember one of the first, the first question I had, and I prepared for like two weeks for this interview with JR. And the first question I asked him was, you know, how did you prepare? It's the first time I ever spoke to JR. I said, and, and I'm marking out because this is, you know, Jim friggin' Ross. And I said, how, what was your preparation? Like when you were broadcasting in the territories or with WCW compared to when you, you know, became like the number one lead guy in WWF. And he said, can you hit pause for a second? I said, oh, okay. I hope I really didn't do anything wrong there. He said, he goes, let me just tell you something. I've, I've done 10,000 interviews and no one has ever asked me a question that was so in depth and out of the norm than that. He goes, I can't wait to answer these questions. I said, oh, oh, oh. I really appreciate wow. that. I just, I've been, you know, paying attention to pro wrestling for my whole life, and I'm always so intrigued by guys that were around in the territory days. And I would, and I know you've been around for all of them. So I just wanted to ask you how preparation was like from the mid territories to like, you know, six million people are watching you on Monday Night Raw. How did you prepare for it? I like knowing that as a broadcaster or somebody that worked in radio. And then he, it got me off on the right foot, but I didn't do anything special. Like like you say, I just didn't read a Wikipedia page. I didn't even have that in front of me. I had uh, uh, a yellow lined paper with some bullet points that I wanted to ask him and kind of go from there. So it just I just got lucky. Yeah, with Jim Ross, you know, I'm I'm not someone who's afraid, you know, of like um, anything or anybody. Mm-hmm. I just want to do what's good for my career and be a good person. Mm-hmm. So I actually pitched Jim Ross as a co-host, I want to say six months ago, basically I wrote him, think about it, it's funny, I wrote him an email basically saying, hey man, like I think your show could be a lot better with a co-host and I could be your co-host, like what a dick move, right? And <laughs> he said, I'm not, I'm not looking for a co-host right now, which he wasn't, but what I did here is what Conrad knew was that Jim Ross has a much better podcast in him uh, for a lot of wrestling fans than what he has now, which is basically him talking about current product and what's going on, you know, to mine that history of what he's doing. Um, that's what I would want to do. Also, I think Jim Ross has so much to say, but he needs to be asked the right questions. Mm-hmm. Um, man, there's no doubt Conrad's going to do it, but I want to be surprised when the show drops tomorrow. Yep. There's a chance. It's not a hundred percent, but there's a chance that you will hear my voice on this show. So awesome. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't got a confirmation, but you know, definitely, um, more likely than not, but it's, you know, we'll, we'll see tomorrow. I encourage everybody to check it out tomorrow. Oh man, I, I can't wait. Um, it's called grilling Jr. If you subscribe to the, to the Jim Ross report, it'll just show up in that feed for those who don't know. So, uh, Conrad sent that out today that just don't go looking for grilling Jr. Just stay on the Jim Ross report. It'll just switch right over. Um, so you, you might hear me say, uh, grilling Jr. with Jim Ross and Conrad Thompson, something like that. Oh, that's great. That's going to be really cool. I can't wait. I'll get goosebumps. I I, I just love getting ready. It helps me every day of the week. There's something new for me to listen to, and and that's why I love them so much. And um, So, Matt, before we get out of here, how can people find you uh, on social media? 
Well, easy to find on social media, um, at MattToonMusic, at uh, Instagram and Twitter. And I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, you can reach out at MattToonTE, which is the total engagement, Twitter as well. But also make sure to check out uh, Vince Russo, Truth of Consequences, which is a show I host with Vince every week where I do a very poor impression of Conrad Thompson. <laughs> or you can well, listen to my show, which... We don't even know what it's going to be every week. Usually it has interviews. Sometimes it doesn't. Total Engagement with Matt Kuhn, which is available on the MLW Network. You go to totalengage.net for that. Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. And I, I really hope I get a chance to talk to you again in the future as well. Are you, are you going to StarCast? I am not going to StarCast. That's my one big trip or my one big, uh, you know, uh, occasion of the year was WrestleMania. I'm not sure I can convince the wife with a six month old to go out to Vegas. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing if I had a wife and a six month old, I probably wouldn't even have a podcast. So good for you. <laughs> oh, she's great. And so, you know, I, I get this hour or so during the week to kind of just, um, you know, mark out as they say and talk about wrestling. So it doesn't get much better than that. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you so much. All right, thank you so much to Matt Kuhn for joining us. That was an incredible uh, conversation. We talked for about 41 minutes or so, uh, which is much more uh, than I expected. But thank you so much. Learned so much about uh, all the podcasting that he does, what goes into it, what goes into the work that Conrad Thompson does. Um, So definitely check out Matt Kuhn all over social media. Check out his two podcasts, Total Engagement with Matt Kuhn and Truth with Consequences with Vince Russo. Both phenomenal podcasts. I listen to both of those each week and all of Conrad's one. So, um, and like he said, tomorrow you will hear his voice on the new uh, Grillin' with JR or Grillin' JR with Conrad Thompson. So definitely check that out. All right, that'll wrap things up for this week. I hope you guys really enjoy this show because. We'll be right back at it next week. Uh, I'll catch you guys up if there's any guests coming on next week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CDFran24. That's C-D-I-F-R-A-N-2-4. I uh, hope you all have a great uh, rest of your week and weekend. Have a good one. Bye-bye.